Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast to help you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco, and instead of my partner, Hari, I have here a very special guest, Kevin Carter. Uh, so a quick introduction. Kevin is the founder of EMQQ Emerging Markets uh, Internet and E-Commerce ETF, the, trading, uh, the, the ticker symbol EMQQ. He's also the chairman of the EMQQ Index Committee. Uh, prior to that, he was the founder and CEO of Alpha Shares, an investment firm offering five emerging markets ETF in partnership with Guggenheim Investments. So it's a truly an honor to be uh, hosting you, Kevin, and uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. Awesome. Um, so, you know, this this is uh, this is going to be a little bit of a bit different podcast than previously we have this, this a special guest and you know kevin you've been in the industry for a long time um and so you know we'll talk about various topics uh such as you know fundamental value investing investing in emerging markets obviously you have a lot of uh, experience in investing in emerging markets and then also talk about the election that just happened and some of the names some of the hot names that that are in the index that you have particular interest in such as alibaba sure. pace yeah, Tencent, Paytm, etc. So, let's start off with your background. So, Kevin, can, tell us a little bit about who you are um, and your sort of focus on, focus in terms of uh, in terms of investment. Sure. Well, <clears throat> I'm uh, uh, I'm an investor, and I worked in the investment business here in the Bay Area for 28 years, and uh, uh, for the last. 15 years, I've been focused exclusively on emerging markets. And as you said, I'm the founder of a, an emerging markets internet ETF that invests in you know, Alibaba and all of the other publicly traded internet companies uh, around uh, the world. Yeah, so what, what got you interested in emerging markets to begin with? Well, I think I was always sort of interested in emerging markets and, and uh, I, I did my first real extensive travel in emerging markets 23 years ago after I got married. My wife and I traveled uh, through South America and Africa, and that really piqued my interest. And um, and uh, when I got back from that trip, I definitely dug in and found whatever I could read to, to you know learn about emerging markets investing. And um, but I didn't really get you know involved as a professional endeavor until. 15 years ago, when uh, my business partner, uh, Bert Malkiel, was asked to give a, he had been asked to give a talk at Google when Google went public. And I wasn't involved with that, but he gave a, you know, a general talk about investing. And, and uh, soon after that, some of the Google uh, people called me and said, hey, we heard about this active indexing strategy you do. Can, uh, can we invest with you? And I said, well, maybe, let's meet. And I ended up becoming the investment advisor to about a dozen of the earliest Google people. And and right about the same time, that's 2005, Burton had been going back and forth to China and uh, uh, ended up writing a research paper about investing in China. I wasn't involved with it, and I had never been to China. But uh, the guys at Google found out about it and called me and said, hey, can Burton give a talk about investing in China? And uh, so 15 years ago, we drove down from San Francisco to Mountain View one day, and Burton gave his talk about investing in China, and all these Google guys looked at me and said, we want to invest in China. And, and that literally from the moment that talk ended until today, my entire 
professional life has revolved around figuring out what does that mean to invest in China and how would you possibly do that? And, and China is, of course, the largest emerging market, not the only one, but it's you know the one that counts the most uh, by a stretch. So that's that's how I quite randomly got involved with uh, emerging markets. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, you started you started talking about like how you were interested in South America. Uh, and then sort of moving on to China, you still obviously have a lot of interest in emerging markets as a whole, but you're really focusing on China at this point. Is that, did I understand that correctly? No, we, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on all of them, but, but China is so, so much bigger than the rest of them combined from a GDP basis, uh, from a consumption basis, and, and from a population basis. So, so China remains the majority of what I do. It's about two thirds of our fund. And, and it's what people are. No, nobody, nobody calls me and asks me about uh, what about the problems in Turkey or the, the trade war with Poland. So uh, it's, uh, it's a China centric world. Uh, and in particular in emerging markets in the internet space. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And this is really interesting that, you know, you are really focusing on emerging markets, but then you're also digging even further going into internet and e-commerce. So internet and e-commerce in the emerging market is kind of your niche area. That's my area, and it's a big area. I mean, it's, you know, the market cap of, of the companies that we hold is is over uh, $1.5 trillion, so... It is a niche, but it's a it's a big and important niche, and I think the fastest growing part of emerging markets mm -hmm. uh, for sure. So let's talk about kind of the last bit there, uh, the fastest growing parts of emerging markets and emerging market as a whole. Why why do you think it's so special? What is so special about emerging markets? Why should people look into emerging markets as an as an opportunity to uh, as a, as a, as an investment opportunity? Sure. Well, emerging markets are the world. I mean, in terms of the world's population, it's 85% emerging in frontier markets. And it's even more of the future if you count people under the age of 30, where they're about 90% of the world. So this is where the people are. Their economies have been growing twice as fast as uh, the developed markets. And uh, the emerging markets are now bigger than developed markets on a GDP basis. And so that's why investors should be uh, interested in uh, uh, investing in emerging markets and and uh, and it's only going to get bigger. I mean, it's they're they're going to dwarf the developed markets uh, in twenty years in terms of GDP and consumption. Mm -hmm. And really, the it's the consumption story that everybody should be focused on in emerging markets. Mm -hmm. One of the things I heard uh, a long time ago was that the surest way of growth is population growth, and population growth that in that goes into the middle, you know, sort of. Um, it's a middle-income bracket growth. And to your point about consumption, I, I totally understand that. Uh, and so oh, I want to kind of um, pivot a little bit and talk about, since we are the Value Investor TV podcast, uh, you should talk about how you approach investing uh, from your orientation standpoint. So I know you always say you pray towards Omaha. So maybe you could talk about your kind of philosophy behind investing and uh, sort of your value orientation. Sure, so I'm, I think, sort of a unique person in the investment world in that I've, I am a value investor, and I, as you said, I pray towards Omaha, and I try to think about every business and investment decision through my interpretation of a Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett lens. But for the last 20 years, I've had one foot in the world of indexing, 
uh, in partnership with, with Bert Malkiel, who I mentioned earlier, the author of A Random Walk Down Wall Street, and one of the sort of founding fathers of indexing and a, a longtime Vanguard board member. But so I, I understand the case for investing on an index basis. And the, the fact of the matter is that mathematically, it's, it's really indisputable that if you're going to buy a mutual fund, an active fund that charges you 1% is going to uh, almost certainly over the long haul underperform the index fund that, that's essentially free. So I've, I understand the indexing world, and it's hard to dispute it. And even Warren Buffett uh, uh, believes in indexing and is uh, pledged to have all of his wealth invested in a, in a Vanguard index fund. And, and in fact, it's, it was Warren Buffett in the 1996 Berkshire Hathaway annual report that sort of opened my eyes to the mathematical, mathematical truth of, of why uh, most, as he said, most investors, both institutional and uh, individuals should uh, index. So, um, but, but in terms of my, my philosophy and my sort of interpretation of, of value investing, you know, it, it evolved. I know that, you know, when I first uh, started in the workforce and, and tried to read everything, you know, you read Graham and Dodd and you read security analysis. And that was really about trying to buy dollars for 50 cents, right? I wanna find undervalued assets the market caps 50 million, but the factory's worth 100 million. And so that was your margin of safety. And, and I think that kind of, you know, quote unquote, value investing is kind of dead. And I certainly don't think Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger think about uh, value investing that way. So, so, but I do certainly have a value orientation. And I think that the, the thing that really opened my eyes to, uh, to how to better think about value investing was the writings of Peter Lynch, and uh, who was the, you know, the star fidelity uh, manager, and he talked about the peg ratio and explained why, you know, you're buying the future, so uh, you can you can justify paying a higher PE if you've got high G in, in, as measured by growth, and so the peg ratio to me is really the only valuation metric that matters. If you tell me the PE of something without telling me what the what the growth rate looks like, I have no opinion. And so I'm a, uh, I'm a value investor, but I want, you know, every, I think every investor should be looking for growth. And so what I'm really looking for is, is GARP, growth at a reasonable price, uh, or, um, uh, you know, uh, or, or low peg ratios. And so, and then in the other things I would say in terms of my philosophy, you know, I think that, in which you're really going to buy are great businesses at, at good prices, right? And that's certainly something that Charlie and, and Warren Buffett talk about a lot. And so I look for recurring revenue, right? So I want, you know, as Warren Buffett says, it's easy to go to bed at night knowing there's a billion or billions of men are growing beards and it makes him comfortable owning Gillette because they're going to have to shave him the next day. And so there's all different ways to think about recurring revenue. It might be coffee, right? You know, a lot of people in the world can't start their day without a coffee. So having, having something that people want again is great. Having something that people need on a regular basis is even better, that, whether that's cable, TV, you know, subscription type businesses. But I think that's the first thing I look for. And then I look for a moat. I look for a moat. And, uh, and I, where I look for moats is on the income statement. And that's a, a, you know, a, Char a Charlie Munger and, and Warren Buffett uh, term. But basically, it's 
what protects your profitability so that you can you can make an outsized return on your product versus somebody else's and you know in the case of nike that that mode is produced by the swoosh uh there's different types of moats but but i think where the moat shows up on an income statement is at the gross profit line if you can have a high sustained gross margin the odds are you have a moat because the world's competitive and if i make a table and it sells i make it for 10 and i sell it for a hundred dollars then you're going to start making tables too and making them for 10 and selling it for 90 and then eventually they'll sell for you know ten dollars and fifty cents so i look for moats and uh, high uh, uh returns on equity and assets will almost always follow that moat and then i look for growth and uh and then i you know what i care about is that's that's the what you want to buy right great businesses and there's not that many great businesses in the world right i mean it's world's a competitive place and if you can find a a position for yourself where nobody else can make what you make and you can charge a premium for it uh there's not many businesses that have that you know a durable moat and then uh you want growth and you want to pay the right price tag for it and hold it yeah the miracle the miracle of compounding is is i i always knew it was important but but having i I'd never I, I slowly became began to appreciate it more and more but my biggest investment mistakes were selling things too early and not letting them just go and go yeah that seems to be the common kind of a thread that i hear when i talk to investors is that oh man i, sh- I sold too early it seems to yeah. be like the common and then also a, a, a error of omission oh i missed it i knew this was a good investment i missed it mm-hmm. those are two things that i hear all the time well i I'm getting in a bad mood because I'm thinking about the different things that I missed. <laughs> you know what, right? Or that I uh, sold too early. Yeah, exactly. Um, you touched on, let, let me just quickly recap on some of the things we talked about here. I think really lots of, lots of good stuff here. So we talked about indexing versus, you know, indexing versus picking stocks on your own. You also talked about value investing sort of new age value investing versus old age of value investing, buying, you know, buying 50 cents, buying a dollar for 50 cents versus kind of a new age of, you know, even though you might be paying a little bit more than you want, you're actually buying really good businesses and thinking about uh, thinking about investing from that standpoint. You also talked about uh, a few things that you look for, kind of a checklist, if you will, right? Recurring revenue, you talk about moat, that you find you try to parse out in the income statement, um, and then you you talked about uh, return on return on capital, and then the growth story, and then just having the patience to hold on to it. What I noticed something that you didn't mention is management, and and, and mm-hmm. so so where does kind of management play into your checklist? You know, I've never put a high value on that um you know obviously uh well let, let me let me use a, a buffett term um or a buffett expression you you, you um, let me think if i can remember it exactly you, one of the reasons you want great businesses is because as i think as he says you they're so good that even an idiot can run it because eventually one will yeah and yeah. and then the other quote is uh, if you take a great manager and combine him with a bad business, it's the business that keeps its reputation. 
So uh, that's part of the reason I, I think about that. But I, you know, also, you know, when I was a younger investor and an analyst, and you know, you you go and meet with an executive at a hotel room, conference, you know, conference suite or or what have you, and you know, they're going to tell you what they what they want you to hear, right? I always I always joke. I said. What I really want is like a hidden camera in his uh, house on Friday night and Saturday to see what, see what he's really got going on. But so I don't I don't put a lot of a lot of importance in that. And, and I've you know, I've, I've ended up talking to management teams at certain points, but I don't it's not a priority for me in making an investment decision. I see. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it assumes that you're not just a good judge of businesses, but you're a good judge of people. And I'm you know, I'm not that. Mm-hmm. I don't think, and uh, so um, that's maybe another reason that I don't uh, put that much faith in that. I see. Yeah, the 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 part about you know Warren Buffett talking about because one day an idiot will run it. You know, I certainly uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. What do you think about you know some of the businesses that I personally own and some of the businesses that our listeners own? And we talk about this all the time in the podcast is look for businesses that have high uh, percentage of insider ownership. Um, how much of that goes into your, you know, investment process? Well, that's obviously very important and you want the management team to be incentivized. So yes, if, if the, if the people running the company have their own wealth on the line, then that, uh, you know, you know, you're going to get, their best effort. Um, so I, I do put value in that. Um, yeah, on a related note, though, I don't put a lot of value in like insider selling, for example, but I do put a lot of value on insider buying hmm. because as one, one of my mentors used to say, people sell stock for a lot of reasons, but they only buy it for one. <laughs> and so if, you know, people that say, oh, the insiders are selling, you know, they Maybe that guy's got a kid to put into college or a donation to a charity or a yacht he wants or what have you. But so you don't know why he's selling, but you know why he's buying. Mm-hmm. That's a really that's a really a, that's a nugget of gold right there. Thanks for sharing that. I like to kind of pivot and uh, kind of talk about uh, the topic that we discussed earlier in the podcast, which is your focus on emerging markets. Obviously, it's a very attractive space for lots of people including your uh, ETF and people who invest in your ETF. But for, for those who are thinking about going into emerging markets, trying to diversify or really want to get into emerging markets, as, a, you know, as someone who's been in the business for a long time, as a veteran of the investing community, what are some risks that people have to think about when they are thinking about emerging markets? Is there anything in particular that is, that is particular to emerging markets? Well, yes, there, I mean, all investing is risky and emerging markets investing is, is even riskier as measured by volatility and also I think by, by sort of real risks. And those things include government uh, problems that are, you know, um, significantly bigger risks in emerging markets. I mean, you've got nationalization of, of businesses, which has happened in Argentina and other places. So I think, um, uh, it's just a riskier part of the world, but the the, the biggest um, the biggest problem I and mean, the biggest risk is investing in emerging markets is 
is that you just go buy the index fund because that's not the right way to do it. And and the the um, uh, the problem is that the the traditional indexes are full of something that we don't really have here uh, in the developed world, and that's state-owned enterprises. You've got you know government-owned banks and oil companies, and so as I, I always tell people, like imagine the Department of Motor Vehicles crossed with your bank or the Department of Motor Vehicles crossed with your gas station. And these are not efficient businesses. They are conflicted. Uh, they do things for reasons other than to grow you know, shareholder value. And uh, these companies are about a third of the, of the broad indexes. And, and if you counted, there's two other groups of companies in emerging markets that have a lot of the same problems. And those are the former uh, Soviet state-owned enterprises, which are now controlled by the so-called oligarchs, and the Korean Chaebol, the Korean sort of almost mafia conglomerates that that have a lot of the same problems, including people stealing your money and and, and going to jail for it. In, in the case of both Brazil and Korea, you've got uh, executives and presidents of the countries going to jail for essentially stealing your money if you're using a traditional. Uh, index funds. So corporate governance is, is probably the biggest problem in emerging markets. And so I think for that reason, you, you shouldn't use a, a, you know, a diversified uh, index-based approach and should get a little bit more precise in, in how you target uh, the, you know, where the real growth is, which is in the consumer. Interesting. Interesting. So just to recap what you said there, um, you said a third of third of the company in the index emerging market index is somehow involved with the government and that leads to is that controlled by the government controlled by the government controlled and owned by the government partially or fully partially owned fully controlled partially owned fully controlled by the government and that leads to conflicting interest as well as just being inefficient in terms of just corporate governance and being being able to be capital capitally efficient. Um, yes, and therefore you're looking into consumer space. You were saying, yeah. So that you know, I concluded about eight years ago that even earlier that you really, if you looked at the the index for China in particular, where I got started, and I the first day we got back from Google, and I say, well, all right, give me a list of all the companies in the China ETF because I assumed that. You know, for these Google guys, we would just buy that. And I got the, uh, and I like to look at all the companies to see what I'm actually owning. And, and uh, so I asked for the list. And before they gave me the list, you know, Burton pulled me aside. He goes, Look, when you look at the list, you're going to see that all, the, almost all of it's Chinese government owned banks and oil companies. And he gave me an example of a Chinese state owned bank. And there's a, a manufacturing plant in town that's got 15,000 employees and it's been losing money. And uh, it's about to go bankrupt. It goes to the state-owned bank and says, "Hey, we need more money." Now, a normal banker would say, "No, you can't have any more money because you didn't pay us back the last money." But the state-owned bank is conflicted, and the state-owned banker says, "Well, if you run out of money, all these people will be out in the streets protesting. We can't have fifteen thousand people out in the streets rioting about losing their jobs. So here's another loan." And that that made me nauseous inside because you know, with my simple Omaha brain. Earnings equals value, and the growth of earnings equals the growth of value. And so the people that run the companies don't care about that. Why would I invest in them at all? And then the consumer part of the China ETF was only like 8%. So 
uh, you realize pretty quickly that you got to get more precise if you're going to make any money. And that's what you know, people look at the returns of emerging markets and and they haven't made any money in 10 years. And 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 I think that um, uh, I think that when when investors look at emerging markets and they see, aha, look at the P.E. in emerging markets is 11 or 10 or 12. It's half the P.E. of the S&P 500. And then they look at the GDP growth. They say, oh, it's growing twice as much. As, as the developed world. So I'm getting twice the growth of the economy and half the, the PE multiple. That is the biggest value trap in the world. And time and time again, I see some chief investment officer from some wirehouse and he's very bullish on emerging markets because of you know the currencies or the whatever. And then they say, yeah, go buy the emerging markets ETF, the MSCI. And that, I think that will not result in a good outcome because it might look cheap on paper, but if you really knew what the Agricultural Bank of China was, you probably wouldn't want to own it at three times earnings because it's not there to serve you as an investor. It's got all sorts of other uh, issues. And so I concluded that, that what you really ought to do is just tap into the consumer story and you should leave out the legacy economy, leave out all this junk that fills up the index and just buy the consumer sector and, uh, and, you know, because that's where the growth is. In fact, it's, it's such a big growth story that McKinsey calls the growth of the consumer the biggest growth story in the history of capitalism, right? Now, that's a, a big and respect, respected firm, and that's a, a hyperbolic statement. But even if they're wrong and it's the second or third biggest opportunity, it's still a big deal. And if you're investing in emerging markets, that's what you want to invest in because the thing that is emerging are the people. There are billions of people, and they're moving on up. And as they move up, they want stuff. They want more and better food, more and better clothing, appliances, vacations, cars, and they want their kids to go to Harvard. And that's the story, and it's well-documented, and that's really all that any investor in emerging markets should be looking for. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense um, that you sort of narrowed narrowed kind of narrowed in and, and focusing on the in the internet and the e-commerce space as a reflection of, the, of this belief that you have about really going consumer and leaving behind the legacy. Um, so, awesome. Well, um, I this is probably a good point to stop this first part of the episode. Uh, so, before we do that, any sort of uh, uh, words about how people can contact you if they want to uh, you know, reach out to you, learn more about you. Uh, what are some, what are some, uh, some social media, you know, if there's anything that, that you, you keep up with, you want to talk about them really quick? Uh, sure. Well, you can, uh, you can find us at, uh, uh emqqindex.com. That's our, our website. Um, and you can also, uh, find me at bigtreecapital.com. That's the name of my, uh, sort of, company I operate out of, but EMQQ Index or Big Tree Capital, you'll find uh, me at both of those places. And uh, and then on LinkedIn, if you search uh, Kevin Carter at EMQQ, you'll find me and by all means, reach out and connect. Excellent. Uh, well, thanks uh, so much for listening in, guys. Um, and we have a lot more to talk about in part two. We'll talk about the American election, what this means, and we'll go into some of the details of Alibaba, Tencent, Paytm, uh, 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 Mercado Libre, sorry. Um, And so we'll talk about those things in the second episode. So if you guys are interested, stay tuned. 
All right. Thanks, guys.